Hi, I'm retired NYPD Detective Vic Ferrari, and welcome to NYPD Through the Looking Glass, stories from inside America's largest police department, a podcast where you'll get unique insight into the New York City Police Department. On today's episode, we'll talk about becoming a New York City police officer and what it was like in the police academy in 1987. Today's guest is a retired 30-year member of the department who worked in Manhattan South, Brooklyn South, before retiring as a sergeant. I'd like to welcome my good friend and former Police Academy classmate, Mark. Mark, welcome to the show, and thanks for coming on. Vic, it's great to be here. Thank you so much for having me on. For those of you who don't know, Mark was the first person I met in the Police Academy, and we've kept in touch despite living on opposite ends of the world. So I grew up in the Bronx. I lived in Throg's Neck. Mark lived out in Staten Island, I think Brooklyn for a while. So we were, in, people don't realize the NYPD has got between 30 and 40,000 members. Police Academy, in a lot of ways, is like middle school. You're going to be with people, you get very close with them because it's a bonding experience, it's us against yes. them. And then once you graduate the academy, you're never going to see these people again. I mean, occasionally I'd run into guys and girls that sat in our police academy class, but you and I really were the only two that would call each other on a frequent basis. Absolutely. I had, I can't think of anyone in the academy class that I kept in touch with. I, you know, I ran across probably a dozen of or so of them, you know, my 33 years, but uh, yeah, um, no, it was, it was weird. How we were so far from each other, you know, like an hour and a half drive you know, across the city to get to each other, and then we we stay tight. Well, what's funny is, um, first they when you get hired by the NY, well, let's let's go into the process. When when we were kids, there was this newspaper called the Chief. It was like a trade magazine or newspaper, and I think it came out. It's once still around. I'm sorry. It's still around the Chief. So how often does that come out? Is it once a month or twice a month? No, I think it's once a week still, honestly. It just puts up all the postings of the upcoming uh, civil service exams and the contract news, basically. Right. So somebody like me that graduated high school has no interest in going to college, has no interest in going into the trade. I would look for that magazine whenever it came out, and you see the NYPD is going to have a test. Right. So as soon as they drop that test rate, everybody fills out an application, mails it in. Right. You get an application and then everybody goes out and buys these books, which I don't know if they're going to help you become cops. But I remember my dad taking me to a bookstore and it was like this thick manual, like how to take the police exam. Right. Which I don't think helped me at all. (laughs) Then like months later, you go to a New York City public school. I think it's on a Saturday and, you know, it's it's. Classrooms fill hundreds of men and women. You take this exam, probably yeah. about three hours they give you to complete it, and then mm-hmm. you wait. And then months later, you get this thing in the mail. I remember it was like this yellow card, and it had my exactly. name, New York City Police Department. It had the test number, whatever the test number was, and then it gave you your mm-hmm. list number, like where you ranked. And then Correct. depending on your list number, the, the better you did, the, the closer you were to being called. And the NYPD hires in bulk. A small police academy class can be a couple of hundred. A large police academy class can be a couple of thousand. I think our class was 1,200 or something. We were one of the, the last big classes. Yeah, we were like 1,250 or something like that, I believe. Yeah. There weren't too many big classes after us. Yeah, I think that number's right. And then so once you – so th- what you do is your first step is – they had, the NYPD has more units than you could shake a stick out of, right? You have 
the movie TV unit. There's a unit for everything. But what they had was yes. called Police Applicant Investigation Unit. And every borough had a precinct where on the second floor you had a bunch of these detectives that would do the background check. So you would get a date. You would show up in a suit and tie. You'd be assigned an investigator. And they were not, from what I remember, they weren't nice. I mean. Absolutely not. I got no, I'll tell you the story about mine. Was on yeah. the job. You probably didn't get treated any different than I did. No, my my first investigator, I had two. It's a female, and her, I, I didn't go to Staten Island. I, I had to go all the way into Queens. I didn't even know where I was going. Oh, God. Yeah, I went to Queens, and she. I, I meet her. She's late 20s, Irish chick. Not bad looking, but you could tell she was a party girl. Because I'm telling you, man, she looked hungover every time I saw her, right? A couple times she stunk a booze. I mean, she, I, I can't believe she still had her gun. And I think, you know, looking back, but I would give her paperwork. She'd lose it. I'd give her all, everything I, everything I gave to her was, a, it, it was never, nothing ever got done. You know, she's got to do it all up. You know, I give her everything she needs. And we're talking about pre-internet where everything had to be done by paper, you know. Right. And it took forever. You know, people are thinking now, oh, that, you know, just go online. You, no, that wasn't it. You had to, I had to go down to DMV and, and, and show them that I paid a parking ticket I had. and All kinds of nonsense, you know. It was ridiculous. I'm finding all this crap. And the, my then my dad's calling her because my, my investigation's going nowhere. I, I should have been hired at least three months prior because they had an in-between class there in April. I should have been in that class. And nothing, nothing, nothing. And like my dad's calling, he's getting nowhere. And all of a sudden she disappears. Well, guess where she went? She went to the farm. You know, she, she went well, to the drunk tank. Let, let me just stop you. So the farm is a place, it's in upstate New York. It's when NYPD members have an alcohol problem. In lieu of getting fired, They'll send you to the farm if they if you're caught drinking on duty or you raise your hand and say I have an alcohol problem and it's a rehab center. I don't know how long you go up there for. I'm guessing it's at least a month. But there's guys that have been yeah. up there so many times they got their own room up there. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah. So then I, I lucked out and I get another older detective who actually he he came I forget his name. I wouldn't use it anyway, but um he came on like in the same classes my dad had, they were like the late, early 68 classes um, that they were only in the academy for like a month until the the race rights, uh, Martin Luther King was assassinated, started. So right away, I had a bit of a connection with him, he, you know, and my dad spoke to him and bang, 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 all the paperwork got done and I uh, was in the next class. Thank goodness for that, you know. So well, I have a very similar story. So I had this older guy, he was, but he was retiring. And he didn't do much with my paperwork. And, and just like you said, I had this younger party girl. And she hated me because I was catch me if you can. Because from the second I graduated high school, my father said, you want to live in this house, you have to have a job. Yeah, you want to be an NYPD cop, great. But you got to work, right? So yeah. I, would go to I would leave the house with one job and come back with another one. I worked in supermarkets. <laughs> I cleaned airport. I cleaned the airplanes at LaGuardia Airport on the midnight shift. I unloaded trucks for UPS. I got a job with an exterminating company. I lied. I told the guy that I worked for a competitor, and I just watched the guys there 
putting poison down and stuff. And he liked me. So he called my former employer, who I didn't work for, and said, What's it, what is it with this kid? Why did he leave? He's a great worker. He goes, I have no idea who you're talking about. So I come <laughs> in one day and he goes, hey, Vic, who are you? And I go, what do you mean? He says, I called Frank and over at whatever exterminating company. He's never heard of you. I said, oh, you're going to fire me? He goes, I can't have you putting down poison and spraying. He kept me. But still, mm -hmm. it was like I would just get involved in these things. So my <laughs> investigator hated me because she had to track down all these jobs. She had to interview all these a people. Lot of paperwork. Remember, you know, yep. Is he a thief? Is he a good moral character? Does he come to work? Do you think he's got a drug or alcohol problem? So once you start clearing those hurdles with, with the police applicant investigation unit, then they start sending you for testing. And I don't know if you remember. Well, 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 before you go into that, John. Before you go into that, Vic. Remember, like back then, everyone wanted that job, and mm -hmm. and there were like forty thousand people taking that test that you were taking. You know, so it's if people kind of you know put it in today's perspective, where no one wants to take the test, and they're begging people to take the job. Back then, it was competitive, it, and it was hard, and it, it was really hard. And they would dismiss you and put you in, in the circular file for the minutest things, you know, and miss, one missing piece of paperwork, and you're out. And it, it, it was, you know, people don't realize it now. The cops today don't realize now how hard it was for you and I to get hired. Oh, yeah. And if you got bounced out, there was an appeals process, but good luck with that. And like you said, there were so many people taking that test. They really just didn't care. And they knew yeah. they had you by the short hairs and, and, and they let you know it. You know, like why I remember one time, like she was telling me, you've had all these jobs. How do I know you're going to take this job? And like, you know, me being a smart ass wanted to say something. And I just was like, just keep yeah. your mouth shut. The funny yep. thing is she wound up in a squad, a precinct detective squad in my precinct years later, and I would just bust her balls like nobody's <laughs> business because it's like, what are you going to do to me now? You know, I got seven, eight years on the job. You're, you're close to retirement. You can't do a thing to me. But they would take – so I remember with our class, we had to go to the police academy on a Saturday and take a, a, a battery of psychological exams. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. Yes, I do. All day. Yeah, it was an all-day thing. It was the Minnesota Aptitude Test, which is 500 questions, and it's basically the same 25 questions worded differently. Do you love your mother? Do you like women? Do you like short women? Do you like tall women? Do you feel pain? Do you feel someone's watching you? They're, they're looking for personality types. They want to see if you're paranoid, antisocial, sure. you're a hypochondriac. I'm guessing those things would pop up in one of those tests. Yeah, there's no grade on it. They just want to see your tendencies in it. But there were some questions on that test that I remember the proctor even saying, they're going to ask questions in this test that I, even I don't understand what they mean. I remember one of the questions that sticks in my head 35 years later, it goes, do you play drop the handkerchief? Yes. I'm like, what? And I remember the proctor says, I don't know what that means. <laughs> and like, yes or no? I, 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 you know, what does it make me a freak if I say no? Or yeah, I mean, what? I don't know. So it, it was it was some bizarre stuff on that test. You know, I was always a class clown and I was always a smart ass. So the way I would interpret and I remember that question, the way I would interpret it is that I wrote it and it's like to mess with somebody's head. Have I played drop the handkerchief? Well, if I don't know what it is, chances are I never played it. 
No. <laughs> true. True. That's the way I that's the way I interpret <laughs> it, and that's what I thought they were looking for. And I I mean, I was lucky enough that one of my best friends growing up became a copy year before me. So he kind of gave me the heads up with these things. But again, someone can give you the heads up, but you still don't really understand what's coming. And I remember yes. we had to draw. Here's another thing with the psychologicals. You had to draw a man, a house, and a tree on three separate sheets of paper. Do you remember that? That's right. Yes. That's yeah, right. I, I can't draw. Like I used to fail art class in grammar school. Like I, I was thinking like they're going to see this interpret that I'm Charles Manson. So <laughs> Exactly. Once after you do all this crap, they call you out to Lefrak uh, Health Service Division out in Queens. And I was in a room with about 25 other men and women. There were three doors and each door had a psychologist in it. And one by one, they were calling people in and they were going over their psychological exams, asking them questions like, why did you put this? What does this mean to you? And then they were going over those drawings and I'm shitting bricks. So after about 20 minutes, three or four people went in and left. I grabbed a seat right next to one of the doors because I wanted to hear the questions and what they were looking for. And I remember some guy walks out with his head down and I hear one psychologist call another psychologist into her room. And she says, look at the size of his man. He has low self-esteem. And I'm like, yes, because I drew a big guy with a shit-eating grin. So I figured, okay, I didn't get asked about my pictures, but they did. There were a couple of questions I answered, like, and I don't, I don't think it was dropped a handkerchief, but whatever it was, they wanted to know. And I gave, like, a bland answer, and away I went. Yeah, I didn't have any trouble with the, with the pictures, because I guess I was good in art in school. I actually was, but... The one thing she harped on was about uh, alcoholism. And I must have said something about that in there. How it's, I, I guess I didn't back then think it was more uh, much of a disease. I thought it was more of a, you know, a choice. low, you know, uh, moral problem, you know, like, like, like something you can control. And, and, and I could tell she wanted to pass me. You know, she wanted it, but I had to say that alcoholism was a disease, basically. I agree. And then, okay, and she checked that out and on. And then we spent most of the time, she saw her as a mechanic, and she had a, a Volvo that needed an engine, and she's discussing with me whether she should pay to have the engine replaced or, you know, or junk the car. And that's what we talked about for about 10, 12 minutes of our, you know, 25 minute interview, honestly. So you had a connection with her. I did. You know, she wanted an answer about that, and she wanted me to say alcoholism is something you can't control. <laughs> so, yeah, you know. I had about as much in common with my psychologist. Like, you know, she, she took no interest in me. I took no interest in her, but I was nice, and I tried to tell her what she wanted to hear. I don't remember exactly yeah. the questions. Like you, you remember a lot better than I do. Then, so once you clear that hurdle with the psychologicals, then they start sending you for your physical examination. So they call about 100 of you at a time, same building, left rack, and that's where the fun begins. So you, you, you want to oh, go yeah. into what that was like? Just getting there, I mean, for me, from Staten Island, trying to get the left rack, it's like, you know, it, it might as well have been, you know, you know, driving to freaking Washington, D.C. That's how hard it is, you know, to get there and find parking and, you know, and not knowing where you're going. And, it, oh, my God, it was awful. And, uh, but it's, it, it really, 
you know. And it's a beautiful building, and then you get up to the police department's floors, and it, it looks like a, a, a psych ward, like uh, a, a, of an old institution. You know, it's disgusting, you know. But go on. So, uh, from what I remember, um, you were in there, and I think they were doing – they did x-rays, right? I think they did a chest x-ray. Yes. And um, then what they do is they First separate the guys – they separate the guys from the girls, and they tell us to get in our underwear. So you got like 40 or 50 guys in this large room in our underwear. You've got a doctor, or he claimed he was a doctor. He puts on a set of he puts on a set of latex gloves, and then you have this guy. And we'll get into him in a minute. Called Skippy, who was there for decades, is following <laughs> the doctor with a clipboard, right? And as the everybody had a number, so I might have been 14, you were 15, and the guy next to me was 16. He's going down the line. And the doctor says, what's your number? 14. He grabs your package with the glove. Yep. He tells you to turn to the right. You're coughing in the next guy's face, right? And then he goes to the next guy, and he's just groping you, checking for a hernia. And the funny thing is, he's not changing the glove <laughs> from each person. <laughs> nope. Disgusting. And then if they find a hernia, they make that guy cough like several times, and then they pull them right off the line because they got a hernia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I, when I did it, like we weren't there on the same day, at the, yeah, and I did it. They put us all in a line. We lined up shoulder to shoulder. Yeah, you know, we were short, you know, in our underwear, and he they made us like all face one direction. So now we're front to back, and he went down the line, grabbing your junk, telling you to cough, and after like if you passed, like you didn't have hernia, he said go. And like it felt to me like guys diving out of a freaking transport, like you know, parachuting over over Germany for crying out loud. They're diving for the door, like everyone's scrambling. They're so like uncomfortable, embarrassed. Like go, go, go! And they, guys are just making a bad dash, pulling their underwear up, and running out of the out the door. It, it was, yeah. It's like it's it's a it's like a, you know being. In, farm animal at that point it was yeah. horrible well speaking of farm animal then they say okay we're gonna drug screen you again they separate the guys from the girls and they give you these two <coughs> plastic cups with twist tops right and then they march us into the bathroom 10 at a time and i'm gun shy i can't pee in front of somebody i'm one of those guys i could be in a men's room i go for the stall if i'm in the urinal and someone comes next to me it's like someone hit the brake i just i can't do it. i've gotten better with age but still i'm gun shy they, they would march 10 of us up to the urinal, right? And then, um, so you're shoulder to shoulder, like you said, pissing in a cup, which is difficult yeah. enough because you don't want to piss on your hands. And then I look up, and above my head is a 45-degree mirror. So, yeah. and then that supervisor comes in and stands right in back of you. And if he can't, if he's short and he can't look over your shoulder, he's looking at the mirror so he can check your junk. And, you know, you say to yourself, why would they go through that? But then you find out years later, you hear the stories of the guys going in with prosthetic penises. Prosthetics, yes. Or French's mustard bottle with good urine just... taped under their armpit with a tube running through their body. Yeah. All sorts of crazy stories. So I'm standing there and it's taking forever. And this guy's coming and going with their cups of gold, and I can't squeeze out a drop. And the, guy, and the sergeant's getting frustrated, and I'm pushing and pushing, and finally I let go with a fart in this guy's crotch. 
and he goes ballistic. He goes, what's wrong with you? Hurry up. Get out of here, right? So he, he, <laughs> he, he basically kicks me out, and they put me in this room like I was in friggin' NYPD detention. And this guy, Skippy, who's a legend in the NYPD because he was a big ball breaker. He worked there. He goes, hey, he used to call everybody Skippy, so that's where he got the names. Exactly, goes, yeah. Hey, Skippy, what's wrong? I go, I, I can't pee. He goes, what are, you, what are you doing, drugs? You're on the heroin? I go, no. I go, I'm on the heroin. in front of people. He goes, all right. He goes, do you drink coffee, kid? I said, no. He goes, you do now. And he was feeding me coffee. I mean, he was a great guy. He fed me. He just kept pouring coffee down. And then finally, I almost pissed myself. I'm like, you know, I filled up the two cups and I was on my way. Nowadays, they pull hair from your head for the drug yeah. test and they can go back decades. Well, not decades, but months, I guess. And, and it's, it's months. Yeah, it's about how long your hair is. Yeah, they, I got that twice in the end of my career. How many times were you drug tested in your NYPD? Do you remember? I mean, just like a ballpark number. Uh, well, yeah, the original initial one. Then we got I hit again. Three. I think it's we got three. hit again in the academy, right? We got hit once or twice in the academy, didn't we? It's three times. Like, it's it's your pre-screening before you come on the job. There's once in the academy, yeah. and then there's the end of probation medical. End of probation, yeah. Right. Then I had later in my career, I gotten put on probation again because I got in trouble for six months. I was on probation. And right before that ended, that probation period, I got random doled, which you know, everyone knows that that's nonsense. I got random doled right before my end of my probation. And then I got, so that's that's four. And then I probably got three or four more uh, as random doles on patrol. Yeah. So, so they call the test back then, the urine test was called the dole test. So NYPD members refer to it as doled, doled out, dole. And it's supposed to be random, but I mean, we know better. So That's the way it's random. supposed to work is this. Everybody's social security, every member of the NYPD, they have supposedly like a lottery machine. Your social security number is in this computer. And every day, I think, I'm guessing it's Monday to Friday, they dole 20 members of the department. I don't know how many, but it's probably close to 20 people, right? So That's no matter right. where you work, as long as you're working that day, no matter where you are, your command, it comes up on a teletype every morning. Mm -hmm. And it says the following members must uh, report to Left Rack City uh, Health Service Division for their dole test. And then what happens is that comes up in a computer printout to your command where you work. And then you have until midnight to piss in a cup. If you don't show up, and they don't care what you're doing, you could be meeting with Pablo Escobar, deep undercover. If you don't show up to Health Service Division by midnight, you're out of a job. They don't want to hear it. It's not suspension. It's termination. Mm -hmm. I remember later in my career, I'm working on a, a multi-agency case with the Westchester County District Attorney's Office. I'm in White Plains. All right, so that's 40 miles out of the city. I'm on a wiretap. Came in at 7. I'm getting I'm a little overtime. I'm getting out of work 7 o'clock at night. I call up our office to sign out because I'm going to sign out off in White Plains. And they go, hey, did you get doled? I says, what are you talking about? And one of the guys goes, I see it right here. You, you have the dole test. I said, I'm up in White Plains. They go, you better get your ass out there. So I had to drive from White Plains up in Westchester through the to Bronx. I didn't get done until 10 o'clock at night. And again, <laughs> I'm standing there trying to piss the guy. It was funny because they were laughing at me. They go, they, we thought you were ducking us. So I'm not ducking you. But... What I noticed is I got doled once or twice during my career and like my first 15, 16 years from my 15th year to my 20th year. I was going every year, sometimes twice a year. It's almost like 
it's like, well, this guy's getting closer to retirement. If we can knock his pension, yeah, out, I don't know that to be true, but. You talk to NYPD members. The more time you have on, it seems, the more your numbers seem exactly. To I mean, I, I, yeah, I got at least two. Yeah, I probably had more than four. Or five. Yeah, I got at least two in the last three years that I was there. Yeah, I got two in the last three years that I worked. So. Yeah, um, I, I don't think it was a coincidence. So we're gonna get into no. the police academy now. I absolutely despised it. I almost dropped out of the academy a couple of times because for me it was culture shock. What was it like for you? Like, I mean, your dad was on the job, so I'm sure he explained to you what to expect, which is, I guess, why you and I got along so well because you always could tell the difference between perception and reality. What was it like yeah. for you? Like, what did you think? How did you find the academy? I hated it. I I absolutely hated it. I mean, I, there's no. I made some good friends there. I mean, you especially, but and I, you know, I liked. You know, but uh, the workload was unbearable. I mean, because we, we, it was an eight-hour day. It was an hour and a half to get there, an hour and a half to get home, and then the I, I did, the amount of book work that our instructors were sadistic. One of them, especially. Yeah. And it, it just went on and on. You know, go home and recopy your notebook three effing times. Are, are you kidding me? You know, and and. It, I, I couldn't stand it. I really hated it. I mean, uh, yeah. yeah. I, I, coming it. From, I went to Catholic high school, and there was a lot of the similarities, just like you said. Like, I remember the instructor you're talking about, and he was sadistic. And I remember that a couple of times. He got pissed off at a couple of guys in class, which had nothing to do with the rest of the class. And he made us copy all our notes from our book, like, pages. We had to recopy it. I had to do that in Catholic <laughs> high school. Like, write this. I must not talk oh, in class like thousands of times. And it, it, it's funny you should say that because I remember doing that going, what am I, back in high school? Do you remember the time he made us – now, the classes – what were they, 45 minutes each class? Something. Yeah, or there and a half. minutes or an hour. Yeah. Whatever it was, we had a standard attention for the whole time with our, our one hand. Now, if I'm a righty, I'd be sticking my left hand – Straight out, right? Palm up with my notebook in my hand and my and writing my notes with my arms yeah, outstretched that. for an hour. And the one girl in the next row over from us passed out, right? She hits the floor. Right. Yeah, she hits the floor. And the other the other cop goes to grab her and he's getting screamed, don't you help her? You know, like, come on, man. She almost bust her head up on the, on the, on the tile, you know. You know. He was just a... Yeah. Yeah. Well, here's another thing in the police academy. So you're in these little uniforms, right? And in your top pocket, they gave you these two, they were like orange cards. They were called star cards. Star cards, yeah. And anytime... I forget what the acronym stood for. Who the hell knows? Yeah. They, they had an acronym for everything in the NYPD. If you, got a, if you got two star cards pulled, you had to go to the sixth floor, which was like... Discipline and control, or whatever they call themselves. Yeah, room six ten. You got a couple. You got a couple of star cards pulled for things. You were gone. Like, you you were out of a job. So it was like yeah. I got one pulled, and I think it was for being unprepared. And again, no, I we dropped out. We got them both. No, and who pulled that? Our uh, that one instructor we that we never did the homework for because never checked. Uh, first names. Not law. Not not police science. Uh, what, what class was that? Social science? Social science. I'm sorry. I couldn't. 
social science, we didn't do the homework. And, and like from a second walking period on, we didn't do the homework. And he checked one day. And then I got one take and you got one take and for that. All right, no big deal. All right. But, uh, yeah, the whole class didn't do their homework. No one did, you know, because he never, never checked. checked it. So, yeah, and, and, yeah it, it was almost like a pickoff move, like with a pitcher, like the guy's going to go steal. Like, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Like, you're right. Like all the other ones would check every day. This guy for months never checked. So we would never just, checked. you know, as long as you knew the material, we just weren't doing the homework. We were passing. Our yeah, you, that, that class didn't. It, that class was common sense. There was no no memorization involved, you know. If you're a moron and, you know, and you couldn't participate in the conversation, you know, you know, then you might going to fail. But there's no, there's no way you could fail that class. Now, the only break they gave us in the police academy was once a day you would get 45 minutes to an hour. It was called meal or your, your lunch hour, your dinner hour, depending on what shift mm-hmm. you're doing. Now, we couldn't eat in the cafeteria because that was a roach fort. That oh, was do you remember with the cafeteria? It was like a microwave that smelled like burnt cheese. Yeah. Right? It hadn't been cleaned right. in decades. So you and I a couple candy and then, machines. What's that? That and a couple candy machines. That yeah, was, but that you was and I show. you and I would always go to Cosmo's Diner, which was several blocks away. You and I were like always together. You and I were thick yes. as thieves. And then sometimes there'd be a couple of other guys that would pal around with us. But I, I'm gonna I'm gonna see if you remember this. So it was like this greasy spoon diner. I think it was on First Avenue, just in Gramercy, uh, Gramercy Park area. Do you mm-hmm. remember we used to get the same old man waiter every day? And he looked yeah. like Grandpa Al Lewis from the Munsters. As a matter of fact, <laughs> he sounded like Grandpa from the Munsters. Yeah, and yeah. he was fascinated with Thompson Square Park. And he would go, you think your rookie cops are going to get sent to Tompkins Square Park? <laughs> and I used to uh, actually, he was right about me. That's where I yeah, went. <laughs> yeah, he had slick back hair. Yeah. And I always used to say when he would turn around, like, we should get him, like, a coat like Grandpa. Because he would just, like, yeah. walk. He, he looked and sounded with the slick back yeah. hair, just like Grandpa Raul Lewis from the Monsters. He must have he lived over there because that's why he was concerned. That's the, you know, Because that place was a zoo back then. So yeah, really you remember the, remember the gym? Now, I didn't find the gym or the physical fitness aspect of it difficult. I mean, I, I, I stock shelves in the no. supermarket. It's not like I was in Navy SEAL shape. But I didn't have any problem with the runs, the push-up. You didn't either. No, not really. I mean, what, the one problem we had, they made us buy those stupid, cheap sneakers from the, the police store around the corner. My knees were killing me from those damn things, man. I mean, that that was the worst part. Running on the and they didn't have like now they have a padded floor in the gyms, right? Back then it was just, we, you know, it, it, my my knees were killing me. That that that's the only problem I had in there. You're right, Nick. The amount of running we did, they wouldn't let us go out and buy our own running shoes. We had to buy them from them, and they were. For, they were like the blue vinyl sneakers that your mother would get for you in the bin at Pathmark. Like they offered no yeah. support yeah. whatsoever. Yeah. And everybody got they stunk like plastic, and they, <laughs> they yeah. you know, they were horrible. Plastic if you wore them like two, three yeah. times. Yeah, it smelled like. It was oh my god! Plastic. Yeah, they were like, they were you know a buck fifty. I'm sure they paid for those things. Not selling us time, you know, back you know, talking thirty five years ago. But probably spending twenty bucks for those stupid things, and they killed my my knees were all oh, bad, bad. See, what people don't what? realize is the police academy instructors during our time, and I'm sure not much has changed, it was, it was guys, men and women, that, that it's a certain personality type that want to become police academy instructors. And it's not like 
they've got street time in and they want to share this knowledge with, with, with the young ones coming in. It's people that have got three or four, five years more than you do. They, you know, yeah. they did bare minimal street time in a precinct. They go into the police academy so they can study for the sergeant's exam. They have no interest in police work other than regurgitating yeah. the Bible or the patrol guide. And as bad as our instructors were, the gym instructors were worse because a lot of them were like Long Island meatheads. You know yes. what I mean? Like one guy looked, remember the one guy looked like a Ken doll with that square yeah. jaw. Then you had the old yep. man with the fake, with the toupee, and he used to wear the red. The track suit? Like. Red track suit with a white stripe. Like, it was like Steve Austin from the six. Yeah, Lee Majors, yeah. And he was nuts. Like he'd be doing push ups and the toupee would be moving, right? And he'd be screaming. Remember one time we're doing push ups, he was swinging on a rope? I'm yes, like, that's right, yeah. What the hell is wrong with this guy? <laughs> But what, no, moving yeah. on to the gym, we had a guy in our police academy class, classroom, company, whatever you want to call it. He's in my book, The NYPD's Flying Circus, Cops, Crime, and Chaos, and I call him the mad farter because we had a classmate that could fart. You would just say, hey, fart, and he could just let go with these. I mean, yeah, he would rip. Oh my God! And he would interrupt. He would interrupt the gym class. So we'd be, and they would make us do synchronized push-ups, like one, two, one, two. Hey Ferrari, keep your back up. One, two, and you've got a hundred people doing push-ups in the same motion. And he would look. He first of all, he looked yes. like Michael Dukakis. He had this mop of jet black hair that was never combed. It was like a pompadour. Yeah. And he yeah. had a unibrow, dark eyebrow. Absolutely. And he would lift yeah. part of it, and he would look at you and smile. Like, uh oh, and you hear burn. Yeah, no, he'd give you the, he'd give one of us a signal, like oh, please don't. And then <laughs> he would let go. And then the instructor, who did that? Who the f did that? And then they would make the whole company or the whole gymnasium stay after class, and no one would rat him out because it was that funny. Oh god, he, he was he was crazy. So like in my books, I write he had a genius IQ. The guy, he would come into class often hungover. He sat in the front, and you and I would be struggling in the back to keep up. He would sit through a class, hungover, literally with his face in the desk. And then yes. maybe you and I would be recapping at Cosmos, like going over the material, right? And he was just quoting it verbatim like he had a tape recorder on. Absolutely. And, yeah, if, if he wasn't an out-and-out alcoholic, he probably would have been – a CEO or a, or, or, or a surgeon or you know, it, it's it, it was amazing. He was brilliant, that kid. He was. A lunatic. He, he had a genius IQ and yeah. and he used to frustrate the instructors because he could get away with a lot of things because he was older than us. So most of our classroom, like we had thirty in our classroom, most of the age range was like from twenty to twenty three, twenty four tops. There were a couple of people yes. there that were twenty eight, twenty nine, who to us were old men and women. They were. But, but they had life experience. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, so he, he was 28, 29. He had worked, I think he had worked on Wall Street. And, oh, he was so crazy. They threw a party for him. I, see, you, you lived in Staten Island, so you, you wouldn't have gone to this. I was in the Bronx. He was in Manhattan. His Wall Street buddies throw this big party for him. And I go, and you got all these cokehead Wall Street guys handing me business cards, like how to invest my money. I'm like, yeah, okay. Right? <laughs> what money? Yeah, yeah, what money, right, what, what are we making? Make $315 a week. <laughs> yeah, oh God, I look at those pay stubs. So he gets so drunk, he passes out, 
And I'm sitting, I'm about to leave the party, and his friends shave one of his eyebrows off. Like, he had a monobrow, and they <laughs> shaved one off. And then later he told me the story that the next day he had a trip, and he was going, he was, had a flight, he was going somewhere. And he was all hungover. He got dressed really quick. And he says people are staring at him, smiling at him, and he has no idea why. He's on the plane. He thinks the flight attendant's flirting with him, right? I go, at what point did you not know that you had one eyebrow? And he goes, you know, like when you go into a plane on a bathroom, like how small they are? He goes, so your face is literally up against that mirror? He goes, I said, yeah. oh, crap. He didn't want to leave. And people were pounding on the door. <laughs> then he calls me. The best is he calls me up. From wherever he was, he goes, did you shave my eyebrow? And I go, no, but I, why did you let them do it? I'm like, what, are you kidding me? Like, these guys that were doing it were like these big meatheads. I'm like, who the hell am I going to step in? <laughs> your pals, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. oh, he was so crazy. I mean, I, I encourage you. There's so many more stories about this guy in my book. But, like, he was Yeah, exactly like Gun and Shield Day, that was a... That was an inventive to him on Gun, on Gun and Shield Day, and that's another one. You, well, here's uh, a, yeah, that's a, so the NYPD, at some point during your training, a couple of guys from the range come down, and this is the way I remember it. They, they put three guns on a table, right? It was a 38, it was a, uh, it was a Smith & Wesson 38, a Colt, and what was the third one, a Ruger? Uh, did they offer the Colt? No, they, they didn't, no, there was no Colt. It was, they had the, the, the round grip Smith for the girls. They had the you know the regular square butt. Then they had and they had two Rugers too. Both okay, so there's a table with a bunch of guns, right? Yeah. And they're like Ferrari, Mark, and someone else step up, right? You walk up to the table. The guns are unloaded, right? They're watching you like a hawk, and like I pick it up. I'm feeling it and feeling it. All right, that's enough. Which one do you want? And I'm like, uh, you know, you we were given like three minutes to choose a gun that was supposed to protect us. Not even. Not, Not even. even. Yeah, no. I I went with the Smith & Wesson the square butt because, he, like, when I – at first I picked up the round butt one. And he was like, give me like a frown. Like, you know, th that's a chick's gun. You know, you, know, you don't want that. You know, I'm like, okay, put that down. <laughs> so I pick up the Smith. And the only reason I got a Smith is I got something my dad carried. And I had, I had fired it before, you know. So I, I was like, I'm a Smith & Wesson. And that's it. But, uh, yeah. So, so you go – so – they, so you never get your gun until you go to the range. So months later, it's like, all right, we're going out to Rodman's Neck out in the Bronx, which was literally around the corner from my house. Like I could – where I used to live growing up, I could make it to the outdoor range in 10 minutes, whereas that's probably the furthest point from Staten Island because you've got to cut through so many different boroughs. Absolutely. So they, they give you your gun, right? You're in your recruit uniform. They give you your 38. You load it. You lock it in your holster. They go, don't touch that thing. So there's like a day of classroom instruction, right? Then the following day, they take you out, and everybody draws their gun at the same time. It's very regimented. Everybody shoots. Everybody unloads. Everybody shoots. This goes on all day. The end of the day, the outdoor range had these like prefab trailers. It looked like an episode of MASH. Have you ever seen MASH? Like they're going from one tent to another, but it's trailers. It was exactly like that. So they, they bring us like 25 or 30 of us into this trailer with all these tables with all the gun cleaning kits, right? And they say, all right, draw and present your firearms. So everybody at the same time takes out their guns. They inspect them. They have the instructors inspect them to make sure they're unloaded before you clean them, right? They go, mm -hmm. whatever you do, do not dry fire your gun, which means start pulling the trigger, click, 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 right? Don't exactly. just clean your gun. 
And there was a guy in our company. It's you could hear a pin drop in here. Click, 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 click. The instructors run over and grab him. He almost got kicked out of the academy for that. He almost did. It, it, it was that close. They freaked on him. They really went nuts. So, so you spend a couple of weeks out at the range. You come back. You do your police academy training. The day before you graduate the police academy, um, they have what's called gun and shield day. And there's no ceremony. It's very informal. You're in your classroom with, with, with your fellow recruits. A guy comes from the range. He's got your gun in a box. You take the gun out. I don't know if we loaded it or not. Did we load it on Gun and Shield Day? Yeah, I think we did. We, well, they gave it to us in the classroom, but yes. then we had to march down to a, a loading station somewhere in right. the building, and that's where we loaded. And then, you know, we were told, put it back in your holster, don't touch that thing. Yeah, don't touch that gun until you're someone else's problem, right? Because yeah. <laughs> what happened was the class before us on Gun and Shield Day, a couple of the rookies went underneath the FDR drive where everybody would park their car and they were using pigeons as target practice and they got <laughs> fired. So they were like as amped up as they were given the rookie recruits their guns for the day. They were really amped up because of what happened six months prior. Yeah. So they give you your guns. They tell you to put in a holster. They give you your shields, which comes in a little manila. It looked like a, a nickel bag of weed. It was a little little manila envelope. Little envelope. Yeah. By about you pin it on. And they say, don't touch your guns for anything. I said, okay, right? So we're in the, there's no real classroom. We're just sitting in the classroom, right? I get up to go to the men's room. I go into the bathroom, and there's the mad father that got, we're talking about earlier. And he's got his gun out, and he's scratching his temple. And I go, oh, crap. And he goes, hey, Ferrari. Then we had another guy in our company. He's standing there like Yul Brenner in Westworld, like a gunslinger with his hands on either side. He goes, Come on, Ferrari, draw. I know, I know. I said, oh, oh, I, you know what? I think my mother's here. He is calling me. I backed right out of that classroom. He did that more than once. He was like, he was, he was nuts. I we can't name names, but yeah, we. So we had a couple of guys in addition to the Mad Fodder that went on to less than colorful careers. One guy who I liked a lot. He got fired after he was down at Manhattan Court. Had a liquid lunch. Obviously, he had an alcohol problem and was letting rounds go. I forget if it was in front of the courthouse or in the back by central booking. Yeah. He lost his job. There was Loved him. He was a great guy. Company. I don't know if you remember him. He, he got liquored I, up uh, at a funeral, got into a, a traffic altercation and pointed his gun at somebody. He got canned. We had a guy in our police academy class, unfortunately, got hooked on drugs. Supposedly, he died. Um, we lost another. Yeah, we had a girl that was fired. Uh, she got in trouble in the academy and was fired soon after when she well, applied yeah, to Suffolk County. Yes. Well, the thing with her was she was very hooked up with Nassau, Suffolk County. I think her father was a big shot in one of those police departments, and that's all she would talk about. Like, she was literally just taking the NYPD job to get her foot in the door because she was going to go. I mean, yes. Nassau and Suffolk County were making double what we were making, and. Um, I think they got her on a polygraph. I, if, if memory serves me correctly, like yes, that's exactly what it was. She failed a polygraph. She, she admitted to experimenting with drugs in college, and then she, you know, so she failed the Suffolk County test or whatever Nassau County test, and then once she failed that, they picked up the phone and called their investigator in NYPD and told them that this is what we got, and then. 
she was still on probation time. They turned around and fired her from our department, you know. Well, that's the thing. During your two-year probationary period, they can fire you for anything. Yeah. And anything that you omitted, failed to report, or they come across and they say, he's got to go, she's got to go, you're out of there. When we were in the, I don't know if you were there that this night. Do you remember the scandal that rocked our police academy company with, with the fraternizing with the instructors? Yes. Were, you, were you there that night? I was not. I, I, so I, did, I, not, so, I did not go to that party. And uh, I, I, I don't know why I wasn't there. I think I hung up with you guys earlier and then I, I went home. I don't know, but I, but I was not there. Next so, day I come in, like, what the heck is going on, you know? Well, what happened was they, they don't want you – so they don't want you going out drinking, and they do not under any circumstance want you fraternizing with the police academy instructors. They just don't. They, they don't want that familiarity. And it was towards the end. We were going to graduate within weeks or a month. So it was a Friday night. We all brought a change of clothes. And people, you know, in the police academy, there's guys and girls that live all over the city. Some live upstate. Some live in Long Island. You're never going to see these people again. You're all over the five boroughs. So we picked this bar in Manhattan close to the police academy. And it's a bunch of us. It's probably out of 30 in our class, probably 20, 15, 20 show up. And we're having a couple of cocktails, right? We got out. I think we did. I think we. What, what time did we get out of the police academy? Like 8 o'clock at night or something? No, it was much later. No, that, we did almost four to twelves. All right, so, so we get not around eleven. We get not around eleven o'clock. Okay, say we got out at eleven. The bars in New York close at four a.m. So it's probably about twelve thirty, one o'clock in the morning. I've had my fill, and I see two of our gym instructors come over to the table and they buy a pitcher for the table. And I said, you know what? It's time to go. And I left. <clears throat> That's it, right? So about a week or two later, they start pulling people out of the classroom. You know, people from the sixth floor that run the, the dean of discipline comes down and is calling out two, three people at a time. And they're stepping out of the classroom. They're gone for 45 minutes. They come back. They're shaking. They're sweating. So finally, I asked somebody, I go, what's going on? And they go, remember when, when everybody went out that night? I said, well, yeah. So now I'm figuring, okay, now I'm going to get pulled. Something must have happened after I left. Well, what I didn't know was, after I left, a couple of these gym instructors hang out. They're having a couple of cocktails with, with our fellow classmates. And they decide they're going to take this party to a hotel room. Mm -hmm. So these, these instructors pay for a hotel room. They've got money. They, you know, they, they, they order champagne up to the room. And there's a couple of guys and a couple of girls go up there. So supposedly... Was a little, the instructors got a little familiar with the female recruits. It was consensual, supposedly. And everybody went their separate ways. What happens is one of the female recruits is talking about it. Another girl in our classroom hears about it, doesn't think that it's right. She writes a letter. And the next thing you know, now there's this massive investigation. So what they were looking to fire people for was, A, fraternizing with the instructors, and B, if you're under, in New York, the drinking age is 21. If you're 20 and you're drinking in the police academy, they can fire you. And we had a couple of guys that were near that age limit, so they were looking to hang mm -hmm. them. Long story short, no one got fired. Uh, they lost some vacation. I'm so grateful to these guys because the people that got jammed up in this were really good people. Um, they kept their jobs. The instructors, though, they got hit the hardest. They were kicked out. They weren't fired. They were kicked out of the academy. Yes, they were. They were kicked yeah. out of the academy and sent to different, you know. Um, and you know the way the NYPD is. When you get in trouble, when they launch you, they don't give you a pillow. 
You know what oh, I mean? Like if you work in the Bronx, you're going to Staten Island, you know, so they, they yeah, make life yeah. difficult on highway you. therapy, you know, right. They call it highway therapy because they can ship you anywhere in the city. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want if um, you remember the, the trip trip to the morgue? Yeah. So in the police academy, they sent us down to the morgue. What was what was your fond memories of that? Well, there's two parts of that. Back then, there was a, a museum upstairs. If you remember. Yes. Oh, wow. I remember something that you don't. And they had, they had like artifacts from, and photos and stuff from all kinds of disasters, homicides, train weird wrecks. Stuff. Weird stuff. Like stuff in, I remember seeing a two-head baby in a jar. Why it was there, I have no idea. You know? yeah, it's like something a but, roadshow circus. Yeah, exactly. It was a, it was a carnival freak show. And remember, I remember a book from the plane crash that happened in Park Slope and Staten Island, right? The two planes collided over over Brooklyn. One made it. One crashed right there in Brooklyn. The other one made it. Tried to land at an airfield in Staten Island, but it crashed and only one person lived and, and died a couple days later. One child. Anyway, I remember a book that someone was holding, right? From the wreckage and his nose was jammed in, into the binder. And like, why would they say this stuff? I mean, it, weird stuff. And I remember there was one uh, p- picture of a suicide guy ran through a window and there was like a, 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 a lower balcony below that below him that stuck out a bit. And, and it showed when he ran out the window, he gutted himself, his intestines went from the window frame over the railing all the way down to the side, like, and hanging there. And... They stopped bringing recruits in there because one of the kids' it recruits, a picture of one of his family members was in there, you know? And like, oh, yeah. yeah. And like, that, it was just gory. I remember there's a, the guy, they had a, a penis in a jar, burnt to a crisp. Why? The guy, the guy was standing on the railroad tracks in the subway, peeing on the third rail, and he electrocuted himself. And they had, at his penis, barbecued in a jar. I'm like, <laughs> it, it was just a, I don't know what demented person thought all these things were, you know, Well, I can tell you, worthy. I can tell you, before we went what? to the day before we went to the morgue, our police academy instructor sat us down and he goes, tomorrow, he was very, very military guy. Tomorrow, yeah. you're going to the morgue, you're going to have doctors there, and then you're going to have doctors helpers. They're ghouls. They make minimum <laughs> wage. They have six sense of humor. They're going to mess with you. They're going to drop trays. They're going to make jokes. Avoid the ghouls. So exactly what he said. So we go down to the morgue. It was at Bellevue Hospital. It's in the basement. And I'm I'm expecting an episode of Quincy with like one guy in a white lab coat and another guy with a clipboard. And like I always say, it was like going to a a Jiffy Lube. There was multiple bays and these guys are cutting. They're 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 soaring people's chest. (laughs) Jumping way ahead, Vic. Slow down. When we first walk in, there was a detective, a cop there. And he's rolling prints on these dead bodies. Yes. Like gross bodies. And I'm like, man, what do you, you know, I'm going to get my shield. I'm going you know, to get guys investigative time. I'm going to get that. I'm just printing dead bodies all day. That's gross. That's gross enough. Not what I wanted to. Well, those are guys that work in the missing persons unit. Yes. And then, then, they, then they had all the drawers and they're rolling out 
pulling the drawers and showing us dead bodies, right? Oh, God. And they, don't, they look like mannequins at that point. They've been there for, somebody's unplanned, and they've been there for months. They look like off, homeless, you know. right? Yeah, it look, it's like horrible. But then we go into the, the room where all the autopsies are going, and even the, even the doctors there set us up. They waited until we came in to do that one move. Remember, I went to the first one, and and she was uh, cutting the the head the the skull yeah, open and showing us the brain and all that stuff and and she was fairly professional she was showing what goes on you know but then the other one you can tell that story with the female oh. yeah there was there was a female there who I'm guessing overdosed and they yes she right, did they, they they opened her up and they took a, a, an unborn child right out of her with the cord and they lifted the, this baby. And put it in the produce scale, weighed it, put it off to the side, and then they were just cutting her open and weighing her organs, and then they yeah. put them back in. He waited till he had an audience, and then he 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 yanked that that probably eight month old fetus out by the leg and blopped it right into a the, the supermarket produce scale, boom, and probably about seventy percent of the class ran out the door at that point. We didn't. I was standing like I was like holy. Crap! I, I, like, what the hell? And they, you know, like, then I realized they, they they waited until we were all in there to to do that to try to freak everybody out. They 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 were ghouls. Absolutely. Another wild thing I didn't realize at the morgue, like, so after they open you up, they sew you back, and they use this very yeah. thick. It almost looks like a cable that they sew you back up on. It, it, it's it's um, it's the weirdest thing you'll ever see. It, it's worse than a horror movie. Horror movies. It's hard to explain, but like the stuff you see in horror movies are totally different than the gory stuff you see in the morgue or yes. out in the street, homicide victims. It's just totally different. And there was a guy who we're still friends with. Um, he almost passed out. Big guy, too, like a tough guy. Remember, he got yep. weak need, you know, and, yeah. and like we broke his balls about it. But like, you I, know, know. <laughs> I mean, he went on to have a wonderful career. He's a great guy. But mm. yeah, it, it, it irked him. I mean, I remember that. Like we busted his balls afterwards. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I remember you and I couldn't stop talking about the freaking baby coming out and like dropping. Like, oh my god, what the hell? Yeah, we couldn't stop talking about that. And like, I was like, Vic, what the hell? That was crazy, you know? Well, you, you know, nuts. it's like I'm sure your dad prepared you for the morgue. I, you know, as much as you could look up. Not it, really. Like, not really. Oh, he didn't. No. No. No, I don't. Yeah, if he did, I don't. I don't recall him. Though. Yeah, th- th- just I was a excited to go. That, like, you you think you're ready for it, and then they they drop it on you, and it's like, oh wow, it's a, it's the same after you graduate the academy. You think you know the way the job is, and then they put you out there on a foot post in the middle of nowhere, and then life's coming at you fast. It's like mm-hmm. people are running up to you asking you questions that you don't have answers for. They're speaking different languages that you don't know. And then even though you learn all this crap in the police academy, guess what? The first time you walk into an NYPD station house in your uniform with an arrest, it's like, it's like getting off the plane in a foreign country and, and you're speaking a different language and people are just walking past you. They're doing their own thing and you need help. Yep. And you got to pray exactly. that someone's going to take pity on you. And it's unfortunate, but when rookie cops are treated terrible in the NYPD, they just – I don't know how it is now, but I remember back then the old timers wouldn't talk to you. You'd have these grumbly middle-aged desk officers that would just bark at you. You know what I mean? And especially when we were, you know, in training and we, we like we were in a command that wasn't 
our home command. We had an arrest, and we bring it into a, you know, my home command was the 13th, you know, and but 90% of the, the stuff I did was the, in the 9th, and you walk in there, and there was a crazy lieutenant there that would 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 acknowledge it. He, you'd stand there at a salute for 20 minutes. He would just keep, he wouldn't even look at you, you know. It, it was, it was, they treated it like crap. Oh, and even later on, I mean, the majority of places I worked in my career, narcotics, 10 years in the auto crime division, auto lessening, I'm making arrests in different precincts, right? So you're making work for the desk officer. When you come in with an arrest, you're, you're basically, he's got to account for you. He's got to, you've got to count the perp's money. He, he's responsible for you and that prisoner from the time you get in there till the time you leave. And in a busy precinct, you know, auto crime's got an arrest. Street guy comes in an arrest. Here comes narcotics with 10 people on a daisy chain. Daisy the chain, desk yeah. officer is the fall guy in the New York City Police Department. Oh. So he's responsible. Or the desk lieutenant. They're responsible for a lot of things. So you're making work for them. So you've got to... You've got to prove to that person behind the desk that you're not a liability to him. You know what you're doing. Yeah. You're going to be in and out. You know you keep your prisoner on a short leash. You don't want you don't you, you got to control your prison that he's not getting exactly. rowdy or trying to escape or pissing in the cell. You can't be yelling at your prisoner. You don't want to bring attention to yourself. And yeah, I mean, when I was in Brooklyn North as a sergeant, and you know, I was lucky because the narcotics teams when they came in and they brought a lot in. I mean, they did. It was a pain, but. Narcotic sergeants there, they actually kind of did all the entries for you. Like, they, you know, they did it and, you know, they, they counted for everything. And you, you sit there and there watching. But, you know, you had a, 10 other things you had to attend to, too, at the same time, you know. And, uh, you know, I was lucky in that regard. Thank goodness, you know. But when you're a rookie and you come into the precinct, right? So now you're now you're a pain in the ass because you're making work for the desk officer and you don't know what you're doing. Because you have to ask for everything. You don't know where anything is. You know, you don't I don't know where to find it, yeah. And the NYPD's got paperwork and forms for everything. Jewelry security envelope. If you make a gun collar, there's a ton of paperwork. A narcotics collar. There's just different Lead paperwork. seals different and all kinds seals of Seals and, and, and things are going different places. So as a rookie cop, the desk officer is trying to make all these entries. He's, he's responsible in this command center. And you're coming up to him every 30 seconds. Um, boss, do you know where this is? And some of these guys, they're not user-friendly, man. They'll take your head off. Same as some desk officers. Some desk officers, they don't want anybody walking behind them they, because you've got, all the, you've got the property locker back there. There's a ton mm. of stuff back there. And if something goes missing, they're responsible. And I remember some, you know, some guys, even not rookies, but they'll go behind that desk officer and he will take their head off. Get from behind my desk. Did I tell you to come back? And like in front of, like in front of a state. Yeah, office, a, a lot of full of the words, uh, letter words yeah, mixed oh. into that. Yeah. Yeah, it's well, um, it, it's a thankless job. I was never a supervisor because I never wanted to manage people. For me, detective was as far as I wanted to go because I just like making arrests and investigating crimes. You you became a supervisor, and, and did quite well with it. Whereas that that just wasn't my thing. I, I could barely manage myself. I I don't think I could be responsible for five <laughs> or ten people because you can never keep more than two or three people happy. So I mean, yeah, yeah. you know, hats off to you for being a supervisor for all those years. That was fun. It was fun. But um, one thing about the police academy, I don't know. I talked about this before, but do you realize that when we first ate the academy, we're in civilian clothes still, and you get sworn in. They never swore us in. I never put my hand up and took the oath. I know. Yeah. Well, they sent I, us. I, they sent us to FIT, Fashion Institute, yes. right? That order. Yeah. No, I don't think they swore us in either. 
They, we never put our hands up and took the oath. Uh, we, ne- we never did. And I always wondered about that. <laughs> you know? Well, you know, 36 years later, we're collecting pensions. Yeah. You know, oh, oh, well, I, I guess we put one over on them. But yeah, they were, I guess they were rushed or busy or, or forgotten. Maybe you had to bring in like some change to it. Like you had to bring in a certain amount of sense or something like that for something. Like you had to have exact change for something. I forget what it was. Well, I think we had to bring in a check, and the check was short. They screwed up, and then they wanted us to bring change. Is that what I, it was? I think, yeah, I think it was. So people don't realize you have to buy everything. We had to yeah. pay for our guns. We had to pay for our uniforms. We had to pay for the books. We had to pay for everything. At the end of the year, they give you a uniform allowance. But when, you know, stock and shelves in Grand Union, I had no cash. Like, I had to hit my parents up. My mother was like, I thought, I thought you're making money now. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, no, I was the same way. Dollars. I think yeah. it was close to a grand or a little over a grand. And I think the, the, the dress uniform was over was about a grand itself. God. Remember, I have to come on money for that. That's another story because and when you're yeah, you've got to buy all these uniforms that you're never going to wear. The dress uniform, the summer blouse. You can buy it from the police equipment section, which nobody really does because it's a pain in the ass to get down there and park and the way they treat you. So every neighborhood back then had a police equipment store and they were like licensed vendors where they could yeah. sell NYPD equipment with the patch on and stuff. And I remember the place I went to. I was just so happy to get the stuff. Years later, I realized it didn't fit. So I had a trade with a guy. I had a trade with a guy after I kind of grew into my uniform. I put on 10 pounds. I traded with a guy. You know what I mean? So it was just like, yeah. I remember like years later, I put on my summer blouse and it came, I got long arms and it came up to like here. I remember my father laughing at me. He goes, you spent all this money for this crap and you didn't even try it on, you schmuck. <laughs> yeah, I had my summer blouse taken that a couple times, but uh all right, so we're going to wrap this well, up. But here's, well, here's a funny thing I just wanted to touch upon. So I got into writing these books, and I also now I provide content for a nationally syndicated radio show called Sterling on Sunday. And could you tell the story about the time you're driving back from Georgia and you, you, you're scanning AM radio stations and you hear a familiar voice? Yeah, I mean, I, I was driving back and I was in like a dead zone where I couldn't get anything on the radio. I'm driving back from my brother's place and by myself and I'm scanning and scanning. And all of a sudden, the announcement comes up. Hey, we have a former MIP detective and author uh, Vic Ferrari up next. And I go, what the? Vic Ferrari. <laughs> and uh, that's my uh, introduction to you on the, on the airwaves there. Well, that's why, but, fittingly, uh, I figured, listen, I know you the longest of anybody on the job. And, you know, I figured you'd be a good guest. You're an interesting guy. And, Mark, I want to thank you for being my first guest on the show. I really appreciate it. And I'd like to thank everyone for tuning into the show. And if you enjoy the content, I encourage you to check out my books on Amazon. Just go to the Amazon book section, type in my name, Vic. Ferrari Like the Car, where you can preview all my books for free. My books are NYPD Law and Disorder. Grand Theft Auto, the NYPD's Auto Crime Division, the NYPD's Flying Circus, Cops, Crime, and Chaos, NYPD Through the Looking Glass, Stories from Inside America's Largest Police Department, and Confessions of a Catholic High School Graduate. All my books are $10 paperback and $2.99 ebook download. Thank you again for tuning in, and I'll have another episode coming out soon. Very good.